Hey, this is Chris. Uh, Like we mentioned last week, we won't be doing a new episode either this week or next week. But I was encouraged by a few people to not just put nothing on the feed. And I had a few items that I wanted to update people on anyway. So what you're about to hear is a cross publication of another stream. We'll get to that in a second. First, I wanted to a give a shout out to our you know normal live audience attendees, our regulars that we won't get to talk to this week or next week, but we look forward to talking to you on the 25th. That's when we'll be back recording and the 26th will be the next episode. Uh, when we do come back, we will be drawing five names for our 2021 giveaway. And so if you have not entered yet, Enter, uh, go to feedback at tabletopgame.com. Well, don't go to email feedback at tabletopgame.com. All the details are in the show notes. So just scroll down and you'll see all that information there. I also wanted to welcome, um, if Fletcher and Kitty were here, they would laugh at me, but I believe it's Danita Hersey. Uh, Danita is one of our, our newest patron. So welcome, Danita. I will give you a official welcome on our next live podcast as well. But I, I did want to shout that out since you uh, backed this week. Um, yeah, so that's about it. Oh, Gen Con. I have had a couple people ask about Gen Con, whether or not we're going to be there, whether or not we're going to have a live show. I will be there. Sydney will likely be there as, as long as no plans change. And Kitty and Fletcher will likely not be there. So there will be no live show simply because while I love talking by myself, I've been doing it for a minute and a half and already I'm bored of me. So um, we won't have a live show there. But if you do want to play a game and you're going to be there, uh, shoot me an email and or Facebook or wherever, and I will set a time up for you. Actually, I'll have you set the time up. I'll have you bring the game, and then you can teach me how to play because that's what I like when I'm at conventions is someone else to teach me how to play games. So that's Gen Con. Won't be there, won't be there for a live show, but I will be there in person attending. Okay, so what are you about to listen to? You're about to listen to an episode of Help from Future Self, which is a Keyforge card and a podcast that is existed almost as long as the game has existed. My wife, Sydney, is now a permanent co-host on the podcast. And this episode you're about to listen to is what excites them about Keyforge, like what keeps them interested, what what are the cool things that make Keyforge fun. Um, one of the co-hosts was missing, so Sydney actually stepped up and took the uh, primary lead in this episode. And I thought it turned out really, really well, and I wanted to share that with you. So there will be a link in the show notes on how you can listen to Help from Future Self proper if you're into Keyforge or just like listening to people talk about Keyforge. And yeah. So hopefully you enjoy that and have a great day and I'll talk to you in two weeks. Welcome to Help From Future Self. Hello, Archons. Welcome to Help From Future Self, the conversational Keyforge podcast by and for Keyforge friends. I'm your host, Sydney, and I'm joined this week by Blake. Hey, Blake, how you doing? I'm doing great, Sydney. How are you? I'm pretty awesome this week. So we actually have a really cool topic to talk about that was suggested by someone in our Discord. Uh, thank you, Fighting Walloon. Uh, Fighting Walloon said, what are the characteristics of an interesting game of Keyforge? By this, he means when you play a game that you found very interesting, what happened in that game or what was it about that game that made it interesting? And I thought this was a great topic because there are so many things that make games interesting, whether you win or lose. And that's the that's the best part about Keyforge. 
Totally. I'm, I'm with you on this. And we should probably address that. Uh, we are gruenless this week. Uh, Alex had some other commitments and couldn't join us. So it's going to be just uh, Sydney and I this week tackling this one. And uh, you can catch Alex next week on his return. Yeah. Excited to have him back and hear what he thinks about interesting games. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when when you uh, suggested this, uh, shout out to Fighting Walloon, uh, very active with with great topics. We we may be calling on you more than once for for future episodes. <laughs> but this, I I really like this because it made me. I think you and I, Sydney, we kind of approach this a little bit differently um, since when we had a little pregame chat, and I, and I like that we both kind of took a different approach. So we're gonna hear, I think, two different sides to this, and uh, I'm I'm excited to have this conversation with you. Absolutely. So why don't you go first and, and and tell me, what is the top of your list for what makes a game interesting? Okay, this for me is on the top of my list because I think it is not only interesting, but it's unique and can almost in a way only happen in Keyforge. And so what it is, is when you get cards that are not part of the set you are playing and you get to have the experience of using those within the deck you are playing. I think that always leads to an interesting interaction. And so some cards that make this occur are things like borrow or when you get an artifact. I've had a really fun game where I stole a book of LEQ once and the oh deck my gosh. had no reason to have that. I think it was even a mutant like Dav deck or something and I borrowed book of LEQ and that was uh, an interesting game. And then also Merkins can lead to that as well because you get to play the top card of your opponent's deck. And sometimes you get a creature from a different set that happens to share houses. Uh, you get a action card. Like there's, there's always things that are interesting because your deck would have never been able to do that with that card itself. But because you have these steely cards, it makes it really interesting. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I have a Coda deck with Harland Mindlock in it. And Harland Mindlock lets you steal a creature. It basically says, upon play, take control of an enemy flank creature until Harland Mindlock leaves play. But because this card, this creature, is in Coda, there are so many other mechanics and otherwise things that don't happen in Coda. So I, I have so much fun stealing creatures from my opponent that have nothing related to my my deck whatsoever Mm, yeah i like that that is uh that is always a lot of fun those those little interactions it's a it's such a cool thing that happens in this game because unlike other card games that where you build your decks there's generally like a pool of a few sets that exist within the available cards uh that you can have to to make up that and mm-hmm. you don't have that in Keyforge. It's like everything is compartmentalized within each set, but you can play the sets against one another, which is what makes Keyforge so grand in this uh, way of having interesting interactions. Absolutely. So I think one of one of the things that makes Keyforge games super interesting to me is how different variants make you play your decks differently. So. Mm. Uh, Right now in uh, Coat, Keyforge Online Team Events, there is the way that it's set up is that you pick the decks of your of your opponent's decks. You tell your opponents which deck is playing Archon, which is playing Reversal, and which is playing Short Adaptive. So on our team, each week, we don't know going into that week which one we're going to play until our opponents tell us. So I have actually played my deck in Archon and Short Adaptive 
depending on which week it is. So I just love the fact that my my deck plays so differently, whether I'm bidding chains or choosing to bid on the opponent's deck, or whether I know I'm going into the game playing my deck. So it's just what makes the games interesting is the mindset that I have going into playing different variants with the same decks. I like that. Yeah, that's, that's really cool. And for me, I have a, a take on this. Where using something a little bit more classic, which is uh, triad, my favorite format, where you're choosing three decks. But there's certain decks I will think of choosing for a format like triad that I probably wouldn't play in solo Archon because sometimes you need the heart of the cards or a little bit more RNG on your side, and mm-hmm. you get that extra chance to to go again with it. And I, I think that might be why it is my favorite format because there are interesting interactions within it and you sometimes need that chance for it to happen more than once. And when it pays off, it pays off. Cause once you win with the deck, you're, you can't play it again. So therefore you, you get that second opportunity to, to try and get what you need to make it work. And I, and I find that sets up interesting uh, interactions with a deck itself because you don't have to rely on just, okay, I, I really need RNG to come through for me. Cause if it doesn't hit now, uh, this is done. And that's why I really like that format. Yeah, that format's also great because another thing that makes a game interesting is whether is how much you know about your opponent's deck. So mm, going yeah. into going into your first game in that format, you're you're not going to know much about your opponent's deck, but watching them play it once, then you get to play your next deck differently if they have to play it again. So it's actually really great for for interesting games both the first and second games. I've also thought about that that concept with adaptive how you play your own deck first, which I, I like when people switch the format. So it's actually you play the opponent's deck first and then Ooh. yours because you glean the information of how the deck should be played potentially, depending on what cards you see. So sure. I think there's an interesting interaction within a game of Keyforge with Adaptive where if you know you can't pull out the win, you should actually just call the game especially in a best of three with the time so that your opponent doesn't get to see things happen. So that way, when they take the deck, they're not going to be able to necessarily see a line of play as easily the way uh, the way as you played it, especially if it's a little bit more nuanced. Yeah, that's incredibly strategic. I've never thought about that before. Yeah, it's a it's an interesting thing. Even just conceding in a best of three when it looks like it's going to be uh, tough to pull out, uh, I think is a, is an interesting strategy. I, I love this. This is, this is my first real coaching session. This is great. <laughs> 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 yeah, I'm, I'm not good at doing this, though. I I, I don't give up easy. <laughs> <laughs> so what's next on your list, Blake? Uh, the next one on my list I have is is games that are really back and forth. I find those interesting and not only interesting, I think they have a high level of satisfaction when you finish playing win or lose is when they're a back and forth game with a lot of haymaker plays. And this could come in the form of a lot of amber control going back and forth a lot of board control going back and forth. So the board's always really tidy and you're having to build up again and, and work that way. It feels like more of a slugfest. Or if it's if it's you both have really bursty decks with the potential and you're actually in this race of who can go faster and kind of stymie the other person to get that advantage of you didn't forge this one turn, which gave me the edge to, to win the race. It feels really Mario Kart with the, the red shells at that moment. Those games are so interesting to watch too, because you're on the edge of your seat the whole time. And especially if you don't know what's in the players' hands and you're just watching them as, as they're putting the cards down, just waiting for the right thing to come down. If, if you know what's in their deck and know that it could be possible for something to come down, being at the end of a game of back and forth really makes for a, a good interaction. 
Yeah, I would agree. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's pretty wild. I I had one one Ember control scenario where between the two of us, there was between both of our decks there was I think three too much protects and oh. two interdimensional graphs, and it literally went where we were like taking each other off with a too much protect, then responding with a too much to protect, and then it went to like the graph plays and it, and it went back and forth. I think we did three turns in a row where it went back and forth, taking the other person down to six from bursting using the same card, and it was like, do you have the response again? And then they're like. No, I don't this time. And it was like this game of oh. chicken of who was going to run out of their scaling ember control first. It was it was really wild and it was so interesting to see. And you mentioned satisfaction too, and I couldn't agree more. Brain mm. burning, brain burning games are usually super satisfying. Like Agreed. the way that the way that you have to like math things out, but also play probabilities. Like those are some of the most interesting games to me. Mm, I agree with you. Yeah, like those when you have to like. I don't know if I've always done this, but I think because of TCO's ability to kind of look at your draw pile and see the composition of your cards, which yes. doesn't take as long as when you're playing IRL, which is something I'm going to have to get used to, is I find I really look at like what's left, what's been played type of thing uh, and and try and sometimes decide when, when a turn is like, well, I could go A or B on houses and it's not going to make a, a huge difference in terms of my outcome for the term but seeing what i could potentially draw into and having future interesting interactions i find i really have drawn to that line of thinking absolutely i i really think that something that makes most games that are interesting interesting is that they are stories that you can share later. They're memorable in some way, whether you've played the deck a million times and that one play, whether it was at a tournament or with some good friends, the fact that the that specific game that you play is one that you're going to talk about later and uh, sh- share with people at the event, that really makes something interesting to me because whether or not I, I win or lose, if I'm talking about it afterwards, then it was, it was definitely something that, that got me excited. I'm with you on that. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really cool how that exists and not to play down the online play, but it definitely has more of a, a interesting and feel good scenario when you're playing in real life because as as fun it is on tco it doesn't have the same feeling because you can't get a crowd sometimes around you totally or, or a different thing like you, you those plays and memories are so much stronger in in that moment because you get sometimes the crowd reaction when something wild happens so that, that's always a fun thing Oh, yeah. And I bet a lot of us have uh, memories of times when we're in a tournament and some of our friends are also in the tournament. And if you're the first person done, you you immediately look up and look around to see if your friends are still playing so you can stand around them and be a part of their game. But but also then once everybody's done, you're all like interrupting each other, telling each other about the the move that was made or the thing that you missed. And and I think those games, like once you retell them to each other, those are burned into your memory. And and those are the most interesting I would agree. Yeah, hundred percent. So, so what's next for you? So for me, I think it's anytime you discover a new line of play is interesting for me. Like I love that that moment of discovery, the aha moment. Like, oh, if I do this with this, I can have this occur. Is is always one of my most favorite things in KeyForge and. Sometimes it happens the first time you play a deck, it just clicks right away. And other times you're trying to learn it. And sometimes it's, it's a, it truly is a puzzle. And you're like, this deck has all the things. Why is it not winning? <laughs> and then you hit that moment 
where everything starts coming together and you see the lines and like, oh, I actually need to not call this house for as long as possible and close out with it. It's little things like that that you don't always think about um, in a standard way of playing, but you're like, I need to actually play inefficiently and hold off playing this one house because that line of play creates such a more interesting line to finish off and the strength of it is just uh, very hard to deal with. And I find things like that interesting. Discovery is is such a huge part of this game. And that's what I think makes any game so interesting is when you have those moments of discovery. Oh, yeah. I couldn't agree more. Like when a set first comes out and those first couple of games, it doesn't actually matter which deck you're playing or who you're playing it against or in what format you're playing it. The fact that you're learning new cards for the first time, things that even you may have never played before, even if it's not something so deep into a deck that you're you're learning it for the first time after a hundred plays, something you're learning for the first time after the first time you play it is still super cool. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. And something else I, I forgot about that I, I think is so interesting in Keyforge with new sets is as we go on, you know, like the time period has increased where, okay, we haven't had a new set for a long period of time. I've been playing this stuff for a while. You have this level of comfortability and understanding of a set and you play it like so smoothly. Like you don't think you're just playing. Like if you are thinking it's because you're actually mapping out the best course of action but with new sets i find it so interesting in a game when i'm used to that and then suddenly like holding cards and i was like i'm like i actually am not sure what i should be doing right now that moment (laughs) of like just sitting there of like i actually don't know what the best play is like because you're not familiar with the cards and and the interactions and what could happen i find that so fascinating and it's just so interesting to be in that position where before this set came out last week i could play anything and just know it like like the back of my hand and and then now i'm just like i'm not sure what i should be doing Oh, that I I have to share. That totally reminds me. So I actually learned something recently that kind of blew my mind. So even though the tide is a card that is in Dark Tidings, now that the tide exists, it is technically okay, or it is technically a mechanic that you can raise the tide and gain three chains in any set. So no matter what deck, yes. So if you are playing a coda versus a coda or or anything pre Dark Tidings, if for some reason it would benefit you to gain chains and not draw cards, like let's say you have um, a rise or not finished with you yet, or even Gambling Den and you know the card on top of your deck and you don't want to draw, if there's any reason that you could possibly want chains, you can actually raise the tide. And that is that blew my mind and I loved learning that. Like that was the game I learned that in was so interesting to me. Oh, that's wild. So if you know you're going to shuffle and you need your uh, your discard pile to still exist, you can mm-hmm. and you're going to draw one too many cards, you can basically stymie that. Oh, that's really yep. interesting. Totally. That's cool. Which one do you have next, Sydney? So I actually think something that makes Keyforge interesting to me, and this this is kind of in, in the vein of my, my variants, is Keyforge Adventures. The fact that there is a whole nother way to play decks, but it's it's just an entirely different game. Like every game that I've played of Keyforge Adventures, it, and for me, that's against the Key Rackin. I've all, all of those games were interesting. I saw my decks in entirely new lights, and I saw saw my playing cooperatively. It's made me see Keyforge in an entire new entirely new light, and playing things for different reasons made just everything more interesting. 
Mm, okay. I like that. Yeah. It is it is really interesting. When I played Mason M. Leto's Keyforge adventure that he made, I played it on stream the other week and he created his own and it is like so well thought out and so much fun to play and very different from the other ones I've seen. It was an absolute blast. And like you said, you get to see decks do different things or play different decks for different reasons. It's a lot of fun. Like in and, and it is interesting that you have a deck that you play this one way many different ways or at different times in a normal Keyforge game. And then you suddenly put it into this new setting of Keyforge Adventures. And it's like you have a brand new deck in your hands. It's it's really cool. That's so cool. Do you want do you want to give us a little sneak peek about how at least maybe what the win conditions are? What were you trying to achieve? So yeah, he created something called Flight of the Royal Fortune. And it's basically there's this pirate ship and it's a mutant pirate themed Keyforge adventure. And the idea oh, cool. is it has dark ember. And the dark ember damages your creatures when you get it, unless they're mutants. And it's it's really interesting because you're trying to basically remove all the ember from the ship, which is done by damage, capture, steal, all the normal ways you would do it. Um, but when it has a certain amount of ember plus creatures on board that outmatch you, then the ship wins. But you win if you get rid of all its ember. And at the end of your turn or the ship's turn, uh, the, the the Royal Fortune's turn, if it has no ember on it, then you win the game. So it's a really different win condition. Ooh, yeah. And it's not a life-based thing. It's about an ember control. And it's it's really cool. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. It was such a fun experience. And I'm, I'm a big I'm a sucker for pirate themes and uh, he had some, <laughs> some really fun cards there. It was, it was a really cool uh, adventure with very well thought out for sure. That's awesome. Well, that it sounds like a very interesting game. Yes. Stay tuned. Hopefully we'll get to see more of that. He'll be putting it out in the wild more. Cool. You got any more on your list? Yeah, I got one last one, which is for um, lines of play that are unique to what your opponent has done. So those universal effects that occur because of creatures your opponent has, or probably more often than not, they're going to be artifacts. Like um, the one fun one is, of course, Fangtooth Cavern can create interesting plays where you're like, mm-hmm. oh, I'm actually not going to play this creature. I'm going to discard it because it will actually take out this creature my opponent has, which is a way greater value target. Or my my personal favorite is going up against a Quixelstone deck and understanding Quixelstone so well that I actually use it against my opponent and just leave them hosed with creatures on board and I just don't play anything <laughs> nice. and just let them be stuck. Like stuff like that I find is so interesting is when your opponent has an effect that causes things to warp in a way where it's now interesting because you don't play your deck anymore with the game plan you necessarily had when you came in. There's now something's happened where you pivot and you notice the cards you have can actually interact in an interesting way than uh, it originally was going to seem for you. I absolutely love those games. Those are so much fun. Like when you take anything of your opponents, whether it's you actually like take the card on your side. One of my favorites is when I'm playing against Saurians and I have the upgrade mole in my deck Mm. and Mm -hmm. that lets me spend or it, it says you can spend your opponent can spend Amber on this creature as if it was in, in their pool. And so if you play it on one of their Saurians that they've bulked up, even if they have a Scudum on there or have a Ludo out so that if that creature were to die, the Amber would go back to the common pool, you can still spend Amber on it like it were in your pool. That is one of my favorites. I love when that happens. Yeah, the best is when they they can't get it off because it's like no matter what, they're, they're in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> That's always fun. Oh, Yeah. 
And uh, the the last one on my list actually has is is very similar to that. Um, but it's it's in your own deck, getting getting use out of things, getting use out of cards that are normally dead cards in in your deck. So one of one of my favorites is I almost always discard Khalifi Dragon when I get it in my when I get it in my hand because I just don't have seven amber when I get to when I get to play it. So the uh, those games that I get to put Khalifi Dragon on the board is just they're so they're so much fun and they're they're so different for me than games with the same deck when I don't get to put it on the board because I now have a 12 power creature on the board when most games I don't. So it's really cool and I just think that that makes a game much more interesting when there are usually completely dead cards that somehow get to be played. Mm, I like that. Yeah. And you just made me think of something else is I think maybe could go down as interesting card of the year is auto encoder because it actually makes every dead card interesting. And sometimes you don't play cards just because the value of archiving and getting to cycle faster makes that card, which is maybe not a bad card, but it's just doesn't have the same potency in that proposition of getting to cycle and archive for bigger turns in the future instead of playing that card now it it just creates those that interesting interaction which the deck could have everything exactly the same but be missing auto encoder or now have auto encoder and it provides that opportunity to have that sort of interaction which i think is the most interesting thing you can do you decide not to play a card and discard it because of the future possibility of what you could get to do totally i love that All right, we can't end an episode without the titular segment. Help from future self. self. Sydney, I understand you have a great one for us this week. Oh, I sure do. So um, I recently played uh, a game with an unfathomable deck, and I was lucky enough to have the card Whirlpool. This is an artifact with an amber pip. When you play it, um, or When it's on the board, at the end of each player's turn, that player gives control of the creature on their right flank to their opponent and moves it to that player's left flank. So I will say this this, uh, card definitely makes games much more interesting. But what my help from future self actually is based on is when you are done playing your game, if if Whirlpool was in the game, you can no longer just count to 36 cards. You can't just count your deck and say, oh, I have 36 cards. I'm good to go. Um, because I have 36 cards and one of them is, uh, one of my, one of my friends came over recently to play. And, uh, one of them is a Bumblebird, uh, from his deck. And he now currently has in his deck one, my, uh, General Zalvador from Sanctum. So, um, <laughs> we, uh, currently both sitting on illegal 36 card decks. That's so funny. That's a very good point, actually. Uh, hopefully, sleeves will come into play. You must have had the same color sleeves. Oh, well, no, we actually, so we, we were basically just opening freshies and popping oh, gotcha. them there. So, like, none of them were sleeved, which actually, like, all of the backs were um, were different. But these two were both, like, a green kind of, like, like it, it looked similar enough that neither of us caught it. 
Fair. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's a good, a good point. Something new that we have to be aware of. Uh, that's a good one. I like it. You don't want to be leaving. <laughs> Imagine being in a tournament going on to the next game. Big yikes Yeah, there. especially because if you do have sleeves, it's actually more likely that if you have sleeves, you are going to have the same sleeves as somebody in the room rather than actually mixing up an Archon card, the back of a, yeah. a deck. You're going to suddenly just be holding it and have fun for your, your, uh, your auto loss for, for that game you're in. <laughs> yeah, right. All right. Well, that does it for this week's episode. We would love to hear some of the interesting interactions that you folks have had and what you thought of this. So please shoot us a message via email or hop on over to our Discord, actually, and just let us know. Uh, that's right. We got a Discord now and it's it's open to all. It's no longer just for the locals here in Vancouver. Sydney has made us international, so we have to let everyone in. <laughs> So there'll be a Discord invite link in the show notes for you to come join if you are not already a part of it. And if you are a part of it, just hop in the general discussion and let us know your thoughts. If you wish to contribute by giving us ideas for future episodes, we also got a channel for that. So uh, if you've got some burning things you want us to be discussing here on How From Future Self, please go over to that Discord. And uh, Sydney, what's uh, going on and uh, where can people find you? I am SC Steel on TCO and Discord, and I am still working hard on Keyforge Live. Everything is coming together, and it's so exciting. We actually, we have dozens of people signed up, so this is going to be a real thing. Like, we have... We have our our hotel. We have all the um, all the merch coming. Everything for a like putting together a real convention. Like I feel like a big kid now because I'm, <laughs> I'm actually putting together more like more than a tournament in my basement. So this is this is going to be great. Oh, that's awesome! And and we'll definitely uh, continue up with the link to go over to Keyforge Live if you're interested in that. So also in the show notes, you will be able to find the information to go check that out if that's something you're interested in. Uh, what's the date on that again, Sydney? So that is uh, July 23rd through 25th in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Perfect. And um, I go by Boulevard Blake. Some call me coach and you can find me on Twitter at Boulevard Blake. That's BLVD Blake, as well as on my YouTube where I'm putting out tons of content, having so much fun playing this adaptive AOA, which is semi-sealed paired based on housing matchups. And uh, oh, it's been so much fun getting to talk to people in the community, as well as uh, jam some AOA on a more level playing field, so to speak. So uh, thanks again, everyone, and until next time, stay forward.